What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and we are here with a special guest. We're here with a hairstylist, a hair specialist. How how do you, how do you call yourself? Like how how does that work? Um it's really I guess a hairstylist. I'm currently going through the program to be a licensed hairstylist, but we can say a hairstylist. I specialize in natural hairstyling. Okay, natural hairstylist Nella. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm great. How are you, Fidel? Thank you for having me today. Ah, thank you. Shout out to Charmaine to, to contacting us. So that's that's pretty cool. So Yeah, uh, shout out to my friend Charmaine. <laughs> yes, uh, she was interviewed. Uh, we did the last episode of 2022 with her, so that was pretty cool. So, uh, Nella, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Uh... I'm from Toronto, Ontario. So I grew up in the big city um of Toronto um really I moved around a lot I was born in the west end of Toronto and then I moved to Mississauga when I was in my early preteen years and then I moved again in high school to the east side which was Ajax area um Durham region so I moved from Toronto region to Peel region to Durham region all in within my first 18 years of life oh wow so i know ajax is a friend of mine is from there it's kind of far away from toronto isn't it like it's far uh, away from the city ajax i want to say it's about a third a 25 30, like durham region if you're talking ajax you're about a 25 minute 30 minute drive into like scarborough which is considered toronto now so if that's like the east side of toronto um but you can get there in about 25, 30 minutes. If you're talking downtown, you're looking 45 to an hour, depending on the traffic. Can you can you take the train uh, from Ajax to, to the city? Yeah, you can take a go train. Um, you can take, we used to do that for Carabana. We used to take the go train from Ajax go station all the way down to Union Station and, and get off. Oh, wow. So why the constant moving? What what was the cost of that? Oh, uh, my mom was leveling up in life. So she, you know, she bought houses and she, you know, she moved to where I guess real estate was good. And so she can benefit from that. So it was an upgrade. So it was a good thing that she was moving from 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 better neighborhoods to better neighborhoods to better neighborhoods. Yeah, you can say that. For me as a kid, you hated it, right? Like you hated moving so much. Um, like I really thought I was going to spend my high school years in Peel Region, which is Mississauga area, and um, but I ended up moving to Durham Region. Um, for my grade nine to my high school grade twelve year, I graduated in Ajax. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I hate moving to this day. I hate moving. <laughs> moving is it's chaotic. It's a lot of work, yeah. especially in Canada when winter moving is the worst. Like, yeah, it, it is crazy. So how was school like? How was school in the beginning? Like when you were and then you had to move. Like, how was that change? Uh, it was a little tough. I lived with a family friend for my grade eight year because we moved. Um 
technically we were moving like mid in my mid grade eight year, let's say around second semester. And I didn't want to move. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to go to a new place in grade eight. And I'm just finishing. Like I, the intentions was for me, I thought was I was going to stay in Peel region. So I asked my mom if I could stay, finish my grade eight year in this school, and then I'll move for high school. Um, and so she allowed me to stay with a family friend and yeah, and then we ended up moving to Ajax, where I thought it was like a no advertisement, but the little cleaner, you know, those Ajax cleaner where you sprinkle in the bathtub. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was like, what? We're moving to a, like, what place is it? I've never heard of it. So it was brand new for me. And so, yeah, so I ended up being there my grade nine to grade 12 year. I mean, Toronto is the biggest city in Canada, and some people that grew up in Toronto don't know Toronto. Like, they don't know all the suburbs and all. Like, they never been. Some people just again, I, 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 it's the same thing in big cities. Like anywhere you go, that some people just live in that neighborhood or that area, and that's everything they do, and they don't get out of there for years. Yeah. So when they go out to another place, they're like, "Whoa, what the hell is this?" Right. And I'm one of those people now living in the Maritimes. So now that I live here in New Brunswick, it's a whole different ball game. Like, um, I've never been this side. Like, m my husband's the ha has family here, and he's the one who really kind of had me open my eyes to the Atlantic. So if it wasn't for him, I'd still be those same people in Toronto who's been there all their lives and don't know anything but the city life. So oh, wow. I'm grateful. Oh, wow. And we're going to get to the Maritimes part in a bit. We're going to end up the, the, the high school. Like, what was the big difference between going to one region and the other, like in school? Like, what was the big difference? Um, uh, Like coming from going from Toronto to the suburbs. And I would say Mississauga was the suburbs to me at the time. Um, It's becoming the greater Toronto area, which now they slipped in like Mississauga, Brampton and all these different I used to call them suburbs because they weren't they weren't the city it wasn't like the city life um they were living a different kind of lifestyle big homes um not a lot of apartment buildings out in those suburb areas where I was living in a lot of big high-rise buildings um when I was growing up in Toronto. So living in that type of environment where I had to walk to school about 30 minutes away um it, it it's a different lifestyle i find it's the high the my elementary years were really um i guess unique it was very diverse i can truly say that living in the city of toronto is really diverse um moving out to the suburbs mississauga peel region um it was around the early 2000s for me um I, I it's still diverse, but not as diverse as the city of Toronto. Like you would have your Asians, your Blacks, your Spanish, your Indians, all in Toronto, your whites, all in Toronto region. When I moved to Mississauga, there was there was less Asian, um, less um, Spanish, um, more white dominant based um Portuguese um and a little bit of black so it it, it was a little bit different 
still diverse, but not as diverse, I would say, as the Toronto region. Well, they say the higher up the chain you go, the whiter it gets. That's what that people like. Yeah, basically. And then moving to Ajax now, Durham region, it was it was surprisingly it was very white, and it's 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 gotten better. I think over the years, once I got into grade ten, like my high school was a lot of black kids, which was very surprising. So a lot of black people kind of moved out of Toronto region and moved to the suburbs of the east side of Toronto, which was Durham region. So a lot of black kids were living out there, but they were more privileged black kids not like the city kids who you know you would walk to like yeah you're walking to school but your parents are driving you to school like these kids were getting drive to school and had cars when they were in grade 11 and 12 like in the Toronto region you're not seeing a lot of kids like that that had cars driving to school and stuff like that so it was a different I saw a lot. And so I got to, I, I adapted a lot at a young age. Let's say that I had to adapt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it, it seems like you had a great adaptation. So that like the way that you adapted, maybe because uh, like, I don't know, were you an only child? Were you like, you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. And then um, um, my parents split up when I was young and so he has kids of his own, my father, but my, like my immediate household was just my younger brother and my older brother who kind of came and go because he lived between my mom and my dad. So he wasn't, he was there when I was growing up, but eventually when he started to go into high school, he decided to move with my father. So it was really just me for a bit. And then my younger brother came along <laughs> 10 years after me. So, um, okay. There's, and how there's did, three of us, how, how do you, what, how do you think you adapted so quickly to the changes? Like, um, my mom worked really hard. So me and my brother kind of relied on each other a lot when we were growing up in Toronto. Um, you know, they say, um, it takes a village to raise a child and really, that was kind of the thing when you were growing up in Toronto, like you, you hung around with a lot of kids. So you kind of watch for each other and, you know, you kind of made sure like you, you were in good groups of people because parents really had to go work. So me and my brother would hang out at the parks a lot and we we'd do a lot of rec in, in the area we lived in. And so, and then on top of school, of course, um, five days a week, but um, it, it was, it was, it was me and my brother for a long time. So we kind of looked out for each other when my mom worked and then, you know what I mean? When the lights went out, you were make sure you're home. That was the rule. When the lights, when the lights, the street lights come on, you make sure you're home. And that was our rule. Like you can go out, but when that street light comes on, make sure you're home for dinner. So that's kind of how I lived my 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 youngest life, really. Yeah, my house was the same thing. Like my house, we had a curfew at eight. Like if it's eight, you can't be out after eight. Like eight is the curfew and you should be home sleeping because you had school the next day, right? Right. So we went to bed at nine and then you, you repeat the cycle. And every time you went out, I remember one time I took a... Uh, a French course or a, I don't remember what it was I was a young though and 
somebody told me like, what are you doing here so late? And it was my neighbors like, oh my God, what are you doing here so late? I'm like, I just came out of school. They're like, really? You got school like this? So so I, I can tell that it's we, we're creatures of habits, right? So once we learn to a habit, we just, you just step into it. Right. So you got uh, school, you, you move out. Then after school, what, what happens then? Um, I, I went to college and university um, in the city. So I ended up having my son um, while I was going to university. But I finished, I was actually, I was pregnant <laughs> in college at the end of my, I was doing a two-year program. And then I had my son, I was having my son, so I took a year off. And so I kind of delayed my college diploma, but I ended up getting it. I ended up getting my diploma in social services. And then I ended up going to university one year after um, for a degree in sociology. So I got my honors degree while my son was in daycare at York University. Um, so I did that in the city first. And, and then I went off to work in a group home um, and yeah, I was doing that for a bit. And then I realized I didn't like the shift work. It's a lot of shift work, shift rotations when you're in the group home. And um, it was hard for me to raise a son and to work. So I ended up switching to a day job. So I ended up working for the Durham District School Board. And being an EA in the school board allowed me to drop my son to school or have my parents drop him and then at least let me pick him up because I was working a day job, which was great. At least I got to see my son. I knew my schedule every day. It was it was ideal. Um, but then I needed a change. And my husband was saying like, you know, why don't we try New Brunswick? And so after being in um, the city serving people, um, I serving children and young teenagers, I decided to make a change and come out here and come out to New Brunswick and see what New Brunswick had in store for me, <laughs> so, which is so, great. Oh, so quick question, like the, the, when you got pregnant, it was this on your twenties, thirties, like I, I was 20. I had my son at 20 and, um, I was turning 21. Um, that oh, same wow. so year. That's, so that's like, like that. So that's really, well, it, it's, young uh to to have yeah. a child in that at that time so I, i'm assuming the challenge was yeah the timing like trying to do school and juggle all these two things so yeah so, i really was determined to get my degree because at least with that i you know they say i believe um knowledge is power so going to school to do something i enjoyed i just felt like that was my goal, I always had a goal to at least have my degree. My mom only finished with a college diploma. And I always felt like, you know, I, to kind of do her, like to do her justice is to make sure I went beyond her, her um, schooling. Cause she did work hard, but she had to raise two kids, single mother. She only got her college diploma and I wanted to show her, you know, her sacrifices were in, in vain. So I wanted to get my degree. So were you a single mother as well, or is your husband like been part of the, the your, your child's life? Um, I don't know. My husband now is not my son's father. Um, I was with him for a bit, but it didn't work out. We were young. Um, I think we were really young when we had him. And so 
I found I ended up we ended up trying to work, but it didn't work. And so I ended up moving back home with my mom and um, just raising my son on my own. And he made a choice. I made a choice. And and, you know, that's and I'm here and he's still in Toronto. So I guess so your son's still in Toronto. No, my son's with me, but his father's oh, okay. still in Toronto. So his, father, his father's in Toronto. So how was yeah. that? Like, what we do, like, your mom was a single mom, so you could relate to her struggle once you were a single mom. What what was that like when you when you had to do it on your own? Um, It was tough, but I have family support. So my family is very supportive. And so if I didn't have them, I it wouldn't be as easy. Um, I think... You know, with her, she had her mom helped her, my grandmother. And so, you know, when she could, she would help. But not, I feel like my mom has helped me way more <laughs> than I feel like my grandma did. Um, my mom has always been there for me. Anything I needed, um, she always had my back. So I had a lot of family support. So I wouldn't say I was a single mom. <laughs> I, I would say I'm a single mom with family support. Um, so because there, I feel like single mothers, to be truly a single mother is like having, to me, my definition is not having a family support system, really having to do for yourself on your own 24, um, 24 hours, 365 days of the year. So I don't feel like I'm, I was technically a single mom. But I guess in the eyes of the government, <laughs> quote unquote, they would consider me as a single mom, but I did have family support. And so I'm really grateful um, that I do have a strong family support system. Okay, yeah, and that and that's good. I mean, usually again, it takes like you said, it takes a village to raise children with children, and when you got the family the family support that makes that makes it easier because it makes it easier to the child as well because he sees different things and and right. and see different examples of people that that can get that so okay so you get you know you 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 get your family to help you how did you move, meet this man that brings you to the maritimes of all places <laughs> well we met in high school so we i've known him it's more than half my life now um, we met in high school in Durham region in Ajax and, um, and his story is kind of funny, kind of similar to mine where he left Toronto. He used to live in Toronto as well. Um, just a different part of Toronto. Um, and he ended up moving to Ajax when he was in grade eight, <laughs> which would have been my story too. But I told my mom I didn't want to move so soon. So we ended up, he, he moved to Ajax when he was in grade eight. I moved in grade nine. So we met in high school and um, we were more acquaintances than friends. Um, I was more of a student athlete. He was just a student in school that didn't really, I wouldn't say was just, I guess, did his education where I partook in sports um and um yeah just known him being we're the same age we went to the same school and end up um reconnecting after high school after I had my son actually so 
about four years after having my son, we reconnected and he kind of always kept tabs on me after school. And um, we lived around the same area, so we would see each other at the park. And so we were always close in distance. And and so. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So it was like, what do you think he was fielding you? Like he was like, oh, wait, Lim, I'm trying to get this woman. I, 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 it's weird because when we talk about it now, um, he seemed like oblivious to any girl liking him. Cause I did have, I, I did like him. Like I thought he was a pretty cool guy. I thought he was unique. Um, just something about his spirit kind of drew, always drew to me, but it wasn't enough for me to really take the initiative to go out my way. And so, but it, there was a, a attraction, I would say when we were young. Um, and then we really reconnected in our twenties. It was really up 24, 23, 24, where we kind of reconnected again. And so, yeah, different paths okay. in high school for sure though. Like we didn't hang around the same people. We, we were really on kind of different ends of the school, I would say, um, yeah, it happens. I mean, when people get older and they 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 kind of reacquaint with these with other people, and and that that does happen. So that that's definitely a good thing. I mean, at least you guys know each other and kind of know the background and have a lot of similarities. So so that's great. So what was the like? You said he he has family here. What was the decision to move to like to New Brunswick? It's like okay, let's move to the east coast of right. Canada. Um, a few things. Um, we were looking to really take our relationship to a to another level, and it was like, okay, we we bought a car together to see how that would work, <laughs> and then we're like, okay, let's you know if we could financially take care of a car, let's see about looking into houses. And so we were looking in Toronto first because we both had great jobs. Like he's a certified mechanic. I I was working for the school board. So we both had great jobs. But the housing market in Toronto is so expensive. And being a young person who grew up in that city um, and to hear what the houses were back in the day to what it is now, it, it was just, it to me, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, we're looking at close to a million dollar home. And it's just like, I feel like living is supposed to be, life is supposed to be lived. It's not supposed to be lived by going to work, paying the bills all day, and, and you can't really do anything because you're so tied to those bills and you're tied to that contract to pay those bills. I just, to me as and I guess I'm tipping to the millennial, you know, if you, if I can, I won't tell my age, but I'm close to like, they would say I'm like that millennial, but, um, era, but I feel like I don't, I feel like my, I watch my mom work so hard to get what she has today, which is, you know, she worked so hard. She's, you know, she has her house, she has her cars, she's doing well. My mom is doing really well. She invests. She's a smart woman, but she worked really hard to get what she has. And I just felt like, you know, having two kids, you had to. And at that time, but I didn't want to work as hard because 
she it took time away from her kids and me having my son I wanted to be able to go on trips and to you know if he wanted to pick up and go and go on a road trip or whatever staycations or whatever splurge or and not really worry financially um and so the the move to New Brunswick was man am I gonna commit to a $800,000 home with no land and my neighbors are so close to me that it like we're just so close that it's crazy and so I said to myself okay you have family out here let's check it out first Let, let's go in the summer because I'm not going to commit to a place that I've never seen before. And so we took 2018 and 2019 to come up to New Brunswick, one, to meet his family, because they've lived here most of their lives. And um, and then two, let me just see how I feel about New Brunswick. Like, let me put my feet on their, on the land and let's see if it's something I can see myself in the next couple of years. So that was really what brought me to New Brunswick is one, to meet his family. And then two, let me see if I truly can see myself in the Atlantic, especially in New Brunswick, because I, I, I didn't know what was on this side of Canada, the east side. Um, I have a friend that lives in or an acquaintance. He was a friend in high school, but he's a more acquaintance now. Um, he lives in Nova Scotia. And so, which I was like, wow, like you moved from Durham region to Nova Scotia, like what brought you so far, like to move, but you know what, good for him, because look, I'm now in New Brunswick and I'm grateful for it because one, I found a house that is so much more reasonable in price. And then two, I feel like you can actually think out here, um, being from the big city, which is like a rat race, I call it. If you want to be on the rat race and go on that wheel, go to Toronto. But if you want to come off that rat race and come off the wheel, move to the Atlantic because at least it gives you time to think and process and decide kind of what you want if you were young. And this is me, my opinion, if you're a young person living in Toronto, um, why not try somewhere go to an economy that is developing and I say it's slowly developing which is it's it to me I have my issues but we can go through that a bit later but New Brunswick is slowly on the rise and it's getting more diverse and so it's the time if you're young of color and you want to do something on more of an entrepreneur aspect New Brunswick is the place because it needs so much. Um, it, there's, if you're into, if you have a passion for anything and you really put your mind to it, I feel like you can be successful here and in establishing something of your own. Um, and I can truly say that because the market here is not saturated like Toronto. And you're talking about everything, anything you think of, you can get in Toronto. Um, you just have to Google it, you'll find it. But here in New Brunswick, it's, it's much harder to find certain things. Um, so it, it's something where it's pros and cons, right? Now that I'm here, I've been here for a year and a half. I see the pros and I see the cons from being from the city. Um, what, what's needed here, um, you know, things that 
like healthcare is an issue here. Um, and it's an issue everywhere, but it's a really a big issue here. Now that I'm living here, I'm like, wow, I wish I did more research because if I did more research and not just jump the gun, I'm not sure if like, maybe I would have weighed my options a little bit more before I decided to move here, but I love it here. Like I'm not taking away from New Brunswick and anything, but I feel like it's, it needs a lot of help. <laughs> Probably yeah, needs I, a lot I, of help. <laughs> I can tell you for somebody that's been here for 10, 10 11 years already in, in Moncton, in in the whole yeah well 13 years in total in new brunswick i haven't lived out of any other province uh what okay what happened here is like the, the health system as you said it, it's chaotic everywhere yeah and and it it wasn't perfect here it wasn't it wasn't great at all here but when the pandemic came it made a a small problem like it made a, a problem that we always had it made it a huge issue because now we we had I can tell you because I read some statistic just in the city of Moncton uh, last year, just last year in the city of Moncton, 3000 people moved in. Yeah. So so that's uh, it, and that's just in 2022. That's that's just right. last year. And yeah. the year prior to that, I think it was almost like four or five thousand. Like it, it has increased. So we're talking about in span in 2000 and. 12 2012 2013 we're talking 800 people to three 600 people moving into the city of moncton wow. so from 600 people yearly or a thousand people yearly to double that or triple that every right. year it, it, it's going to cause a, a friction in the in the health system which we're not definitely new brunswick was not ready for this and, and oh, that's definitely 100%. something that and I'm a part of that wave, right? So I came in in 2020. So I'm part of that 2021, actually. I moved um, in 2021. But I'm part of that wave of Ontarioans that came in, right? That really skyrocketed the market a bit here. And so um, I know definitely, like, I think it hit all records, like all high records of the most people moved here since like it was like a, a like a record breaking New Brunswick takes in all these people here right so I definitely know it wasn't something that they were expecting um but I feel like it's a good thing because the this economy needs to develop a little more and um it's nice that it's getting I like that it's it's getting more diverse like I talk to people and they said, you know, there's a lot, it's a lot more diverse than it was five years ago. So it's like, wow, um, coming from a big city that it's full of diversity, um, you know, it's, it's nice to see. I think um, I can appreciate, you know, when I see somebody of color here, like I, you know, at least it gives me a sense of belonging that I, you know, I can be here, I belong here, um, and not really, you know, as I said, everywhere has their pros and cons, but I feel like the economy here, um, it, it still needs, it needs um, a little bit of help. And I just like that there's more people coming here that are of color and kind of making New Brunswick more diverse uh, because it's needed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a thing that uh, you know, if you 
when you look at it here, it's it's getting more diverse, but it's still there's still things like, for example, that we're going to get to that to hair. Like I remember when I was here, I couldn't find there wasn't a black barber. There, there was just none. There was zero right. black barbers. Wow. Now there's like five, I think five or six of them now, which yeah. is incredible to, from going to zero to none. And and people like you and I remember I had a uh, somebody that that does braids and they were like oh my god I, I i have so much clientele that i don't even know how to deal with it because i'm the only one doing it and it's like everybody's doing the, the, the same thing so right. what going down to that what what do you think are the pros and cons of being here you said like developing the stuff like as a person of color what do you think uh was one of the biggest challenges once you come to the maritimes to a place like like new brunswick first is really the culture shock um i had to get over that first um as i said coming from the big city i'm so used to different faces and different I, I, not even uh, different faces and kind of a um a tunnel kind of vision mentality um people in toronto are, are quick they're go 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 they don't have time to sit and talk and oh hi how is your day and 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 just talk it, you can be at work and you know, people know people by name, like Toronto. That's very rare because there's so many people coming in and out of a place. There's no time to sit and talk and and know people by name because you've seen so many faces throughout the day. Um, I live in Shidiac and Shidiac is a small town. And so a lot of people here who work here and possibly live here know people here by name. And so they'll hold like a little two to three minute conversation while they're in line or paying for things. And so uh, there's certain things where I'm not used to. It's like, it's very, oh, okay. You know, okay, they're having a full conversation and, you know, they know each other by name and they've, you know, it's something where there's regulars that, you know, you have your regular people here. It's more common where, you know, everybody and especially if you're in a small town like Shidiac, um, you know, a lot of people, especially if you're working here, you've probably seen these people, you know, they probably lived here all their lives. So you kind of know people by name here. Um but I find the pros, the I guess the pros is um uh, the pros is as I said, you can establish kind of what you want here. Um if you have a goal, I feel like you can execute a goal because there's not a lot of things for people of color here. Like it's now as people are coming in, they're starting to open businesses here for that target people of color, which is great. Um, the cons is I still feel like the Maritimes or New Brunswick still have this uh, bias or this. Um, I you could say racist. You, yeah, you could say racist. Yeah, like, you could say racist here. This, this is a black podcast. Okay, yeah. I guess there's this racism still that lingers. This, this, like I find I come across a lot of people who assume I'm French speaking. And it just it it throws me because I'm like, mind you, we learn French in in because we're from Canada and Ontario, you learn French from grade four to grade nine. And then from grade nine, you don't have to take French anymore. 
Um, so you only really get it for five years. Where here, it's something that I guess they put in the curriculum. So because New Brunswick is the only bilingual province in Canada, they are French speaking, but they also are English speaking. And I guess some people maybe are dominantly French, but majority of the province here is bilingual. So I find that it's... Uh, it just takes me back when they assume I'm French speaking. So it's like, okay, you're assuming I'm French. Why? <laughs> so the, my question goes to why are you assuming I'm French and why are you judging me based on my color of my skin? And then why are you judging me to think that I, you are assuming I'm speaking French when I, when I don't, um, I only have a grade 10 level French and that can tell you, hi, I can tell you, no, I don't speak French. Can you speak English? Because that's something that was kind of instilled in us in school. <laughs> no, we don't yeah. speak French. We speak English. And so I find here it's weird. I've come across a lot of people here that I assume that I speak French and it, I kind of want to be like, why are you assuming that? <laughs> and I, I just, you know, I don't know really how to break that conversation because I think it's something that, and it's, it's something we should be, and I hate to put the burden on people of color, but I do feel like it is us to teach white people like, hey, you can't just assume because I'm not assuming that you solely just speak English. You know, I can I can only hope you speak English, but I can't just assume you solely only speak English when I know I'm in a bilingual province. So I just don't know why the mind frame is, oh, you 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 speak French as your first language as somebody of, of color where where my parents are Jamaican. Um, we don't speak like Jamaican people don't speak French. <laughs> So not, not only that, it's the shock when you tell them that you don't speak French. They're like, they're like, oh, my God. Like, yes, like, like it's something like amazing. You're like, uh, what? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't I'm not surprised that you don't like when you speak English or French. Right. Uh, uh, and it happens to a lot of black people. And I guess that that's the thing. Like we as a as a country, not I'm not going to say like just the maritimes it's safe i think it, it does happen to to a lot of places uh because i mean uh, one tell uh, one thing i tell people in this podcast especially us as people of color that i i learned the hard way that canada when people think about canada they think about toronto montreal vancouver and that's not canada that that's right. not canada because when you think of those big cities yeah of course it's like if you think in new york chicago or you know like boston Right. When you go to Cornerbrook, Newfoundland or Wolfville, Nova Scotia or Shediac, right. which is like a small that that is Canada. That right. that's the Canadian culture. And when you're a black person in real Canadian culture, it's like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. This is not as diverse as they think it is. Like it, it, right. it it's not. It's a different it's a different landscape totally. So you you can definitely relate, especially here with the bilingualism in in Shediac, where it's, it's French and the biggest tourism comes from Quebec. Right. You you start realizing that this like, oh, wait, that like this, this is not like diverse or multicultural or, or whatever. No. This is this is this is pretty white. And this is and, and this is pretty this. They, they have certain customs that when you go, they assume things that they're not necessarily true. But because they've been there for so long, 
they they think that's their reality and it's like uh no 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 it's not at all yeah and i find definitely you hit it on the mark like they i find they they're so set in their ways and so the anything else that looks different it's like a shock but it's like it shouldn't be so like i don't know why it's so shocking that not everybody you come across that are of color speaks french like i feel like that's very ignorant um and then it's like as i said um a lot of there's a lot of africans here that speak french but not all of them speak french you can't you know i've come across a lot of africans that don't speak french and so it's it's something that when that guy stopped me in shell and he was speaking to me in french and i had to be like oh no sorry you know i said it in french to him that i don't speak french because i always had that in my arsenal of you know my french tools but it's not something that um not saying i am disregarding the french people but i just say there should be a there should be more of a mindfulness um when we're coming across you know white people who are you know you want to speak to somebody of color you know, don't assume they're going to speak French. And then I guess you can't assume I speak English either. So it's a funny balance, you know, there's, there's that funny balance. It just threw me off because I'm from Toronto. So I'm not used to having such a, I, it's like a hyper visualization. I find I'm very hyper um, visualized here because I'm of color, I have locks in my hair. Um, you know, my style is a bit different. I find here, I like, I, I stand out. I, <laughs> and so I think that's another thing. I stand out here. And so a lot of people stare and I'm like, man, like, did anybody teach some of these people that staring is not right like it's rude it's a it's a it's a form of being rude and um and it kind of makes me feel away here um in the sense of being here sometimes i think in certain situations i i kind of kind of put my guard up and i'm like okay why are they staring so much because th there's nothing to stare at if you stare why you might as well take out your phone and take a picture you know what i mean but like to stare at somebody i just find it's very rude because i find I'm not staring at them. So it's like, why are you staring at me? And you can feel when somebody's staring at you. So it's like, sometimes I'm walking and I'll turn and I just see somebody just staring at me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't know what it is. Sometimes people come up to me and say, oh, I love your hair, you know? And I'm like, oh, great. You know, thank you. You know, but um, just the ongoing stare and it's like you can move your whole body and they're like literally piercing you with their their pupils it's I, I find one that's one thing I don't like about here because they they haven't seen much diversity they don't I, I feel like that's where the staring comes from um, they're not used to seeing people of color so they stare and but I find don't stare, you know, you could take a look, but don't stare. <laughs> That's my thing. And yeah, so, I, and I, I, I would tell you, you said to the Spanish when they say like your hair slide them your car, like, hey, you want to go? <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, you, you know what the funny thing is? I, I, I will tell you something. Uh, 
perception, I, I realize that perception is reality and the truth is not reality. Because uh, if you ever worked at a call center and people press the French or the English, but they're French, but they press the English button. Mm -hmm. The first thing they will ask you is, do you speak French? Right. And that's the proper way. But the reason is, is because they, there's not a face attached to it, right? Like if I talk, um, you just hear my voice. You don't know if I speak French or not. You don't right. even ask because of the accent that I have. However, uh, if I'm already used to the perception that when I look at somebody that's of color and I usually hear French, I will automatically think that a lot of the people of color are French. And that's what happens a lot here. It happens a lot to the fact that there's a perception. And again, not a perception, uh, not just in Canada, but in the United States. That's why, you know, the perception of cops, quote unquote, is like, oh, because they're black, they seem dangerous or right. because they're black, they seem to stuff. So so there is a perception with black people all over North America. It's it's a it's a it's a thing that's all over North America. That if you're black, yeah. uh, you could be French and you have no. And this is what what we we try to educate in this podcast. I have nothing in common with somebody from the UK and they will put us in the same thing because we're both black and we're yeah. like, uh, we, we, we didn't grow up in the same country. We don't have the same stature. We don't have anything. We really don't have anything in common other than being black. But the perception is that because we're both black, we are, we're supposed to have something. And it's like, uh, just because you both are white, that doesn't mean you got something in common. Right. But that, that, but that, that, that is the perception, and and it's something that, uh, it, it's it's gonna take a while. It's changing slowly but surely. It's going to take a while, and and you know the reason why we interview people like you is because we wanna we we wanna make sure that people hear that that side of it. It's like, hey, look, I don't speak French. You should ask me first. Like, you should ask me if I do. If I do, cool. If I don't, you know, cool. But ask me. Don't don't treat me like. You already know what's happening because you we don't know each other. Like right. we, we don't we, we we don't know each other, and and that's the first impression. This is what matters. So so I definitely understanding that side of you because again, most black people here go through that. Uh, yeah. Some don't, and but some but but most of us must do. So in in that sense, like once you got into it, what made you get into hair care? Like like what what made you get into that field specifically? Okay, I was I when I when I came up here in 2019, I came to Shidiac and I and it tour it's the tourist time here in Shidiac in the summer, like end of June, July to end of August, early August, around that time. So I, so I was seeing a lot of people of color with afros and the hair in just out, like you know, no protective styles, no, um, when I mean protective style, cornrows, braids, whatever, um, twist. I was, and I went to Dieppe Mall as well when I first got here, because I was like, oh, where's the mall? And so I didn't realize they only had one mall here, which was new to me, um, because as I said, come from the big city, you have plenty of malls to choose from but here there's not a lot to choose from you had Diet mall so i ended up going to Diet mall and i was just seeing a lot of afros a lot of afros a lot of unkept locks a lot of um curly hair that looked more matted than anything and so i was concerned i was like wow like 
Okay, that's that's an issue. Um, so when I moved here, I made it a point to Google um black hair salons here. And I looked and only two salons came up. And I was like, what? I was like, no. So I used my research degree and I kind of dig deep and I played around with different words. I put in, you know, natural hair braids. So I was just doing my research and there was only three, like three in total that touch curly hair. Um, and I was really concerned because I saw a lot of people here that are of color that didn't have their hair, I guess, in a style where I'm used to being in the big city, having your hair done. Like that's a, that's a thing. Like that's kind of a must being in Toronto. Like you, you keep your hair well, you, you it's, I guess it's that commercialism. You keep your hair good, you look good, you feel good. And you know, you, you, whatever, you make your money. Toronto's about making money. So if you look good, you, you know, you want to keep up that image. It's really image in Toronto. You want to, um, you want to Pers um, come across yourself as your best self, right? So you're going to get your hair done. You're going to do your nails. You're going to buy, you know, brand name clothes. You're going to, that's the Toronto facade, right? But, <laughs> which is hard to keep up with when you have bills to pay and the Toronto bills isn't, isn't a joke. It's very expensive to live in that city. Um, so here, being here, I said to myself, oh, wow, like, there's nobody here really braiding hair. There's nobody here really doing locks. Like, man, I have locks. So I was concerned because my best friend was doing my locks and I would do hers. So we would kind of change services like that. And so I was like, man, nobody can do my locks. Like I, there's times where I like to just sit down and be a client and not be the stylist. So I was like, man, nobody's going to be able to do my locks here. So I have to do them myself. And so I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to start a hair business. Um, I'm going to start my own hair business out, out of my house and get that going. And because in Toronto, it's a thing where you can start a business, have a shop, that specializes in natural hair, which is our hair type, um, curly hair, you know, um, more coarse, thick hair type. Um, you don't have to be licensed or certified to work on black hair in Ontario. Um, when I started this business, I reached out to one of these um, hair, black owned hairstylists here um, who did hair and you know, she ended up saying, oh, you need a license here. And I said to do black hair. She's like, yeah. I'm like, no way. There, there can't be a way. How? There's not even enough. There's nobody here who does hair anyway. So how can it be regulated? There's nobody doing black hair here. So how can there be a thing that regulates black hair. So I had to do more research. So I put my 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 honors degree again to the use and I did my research and came across nothing really. Like nothing that specifically specified black hair, just hair. So we're clumped into this umbrella of being all hair. Um so if you do hair here, you have to be certified. Um 
to what degree do I feel like that's right? I don't feel like that's right. I don't feel like you should be certified if you're doing um, cornrows, extensions, locks. I don't feel like that's something that needs to be licensed because if it is, who's going to oversee that here? Um, I want to know who. <laughs> Not only oversee it, but who's going to actually relate? Because I, I can tell you this. I remember one time I, I told them somebody, like, do you guys do black hair? And they're like, yes, we do. And then I went, right? Mm -hmm. And they just cut my hair, but they didn't do the size. They didn't do anything. I was like, this looks horrible. Like, And I'm like, this person had no clue what they were doing. They know how right. to do a haircut, but they didn't. And it, it's kind of scary that, like you said, like, yeah, they regulate hair, but how the hell do you know about cornrows when you have never touched them in your whole life? Like, like how, how are you going to regulate something that you don't, you just don't know? No, and that's my concern here. So that's my biggest concern, that um, you want to regulate something, cos the cosmetology program, um, the association, and I'll put them like the New Brunswick Cosmetology Association, wants to regulate Black hair. But please tell me who in your association is qualified enough to regulate black hair because I would love to meet that person to have a discussion to 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 really discuss why you feel like it should be regulated when this is a generational thing I learned to braid through my mother-in-law who taught me how to braid this was hand to hand learning she never she never nobody taught her this was from her ancestors and this is passed on. So if you're gifted enough to learn how to braid, to twist, to do protective hairstyle, that's something that was passed on from your grandmother, your mother, somebody in your family, because that's how you, you that's how I've learned. That's how my sisters learned. That's how a lot of people who know how to do black hair has learned. It's through somebody else that's that passed on that tool to them. So to me, it's frustrating that I had to go back to school and spend thousands of dollars to get this license because I would have been fined or I would have been warned or I would have been I, I would have been, I guess, in trouble if I didn't go and attain this um, certificate. Um, I find it a little crazy, as I said, coming from Toronto, where you can literally open a storefront and just specialize in natural hairstyles and you don't need a license. Um, as long as you're not touching chemicals, color, um, perms, you can own a business and do black hair in Toronto, in Ontario. So I find here moving here, it was kind of a slap in the face, um, <laughs> being a black person. Like if you wanted to do black hair and not touch color, as I said, perms or, or, um, anything with chemical related treatments in your hair. I, it shouldn't have been an issue. So it's funny that, as I said, they're, they want to regulate something and now they're trying to put in a braid and extension course. I'm curious who's going to regulate that. Who's going to oversee these things um, to, to put this in motion? Um, because I, I find it unfair. 
I don't think I should have had to go to school if that's all I wanted to do. Now, being in school, I'm grateful to having these tools of learning chemicals. But if I didn't need it, I wouldn't probably have went to school um, if I didn't need this license. So it's something where I have an issue with the Cosmetology Association, and I will be bringing up my issue as soon as I'm licensed with them, because I think it's a discussion that needs to be um, talked about. It, I think it's unfair. I think it, again, marginalizes Black people um, into this box, um, which I find really unfair. Um, so I do have a big problem with it. Um, I think that's something that the cosmetology program needs to really consider. And if you want to regulate black hair, then you should have black teachers. You should have somebody who's black to say, okay, if you're going to regulate it, hmm, let's have a black, somebody who's black, who's been in the industry, who knows black hair and, and go out there and teach all the licensed hairstylist black hair because it is a part of the program. I do learn it. There's a little chapter on black hair, but can it be taught to me? Nope. Because nobody in my school knows black hair. So who's teaching it? I am. I'm teaching them black hair because I'm a black woman with locks and who's been doing hair since I was about nine years old. So it's something where um, I'm like, you know, you fight your battles, you pick your battles, you fight them. And what I found was the least intrusive way to fight this battle is me kind of submitting to this criteria because I do feel like I was meant to do hair. Um, and I wanted to give, I wanted to give back and also give the opportunity of people who live in New Brunswick, somewhere they can go that was a safe space that somewhere they, they can see and relate to and somebody who can actually take care of their hair because they've they've worked with this hair type for a long time. So was a part of why I opened Nellis Hair Care because I saw a need and I knew I can fill the need because I've been doing hair for over, over 15 years. Um, so I say I specialize in natural hair, which is, you know, cornrows, braids, extensions, locks, press with your natural hair. Um, I have the privilege now to learn color, perm, you know, white, Eurocentric hair, right? Now I have the privilege and I say privilege because not everybody's fortunate to just go and spend thousands of dollars to go get a license. So I'm privileged enough to have that and be able to go and get this license. Am I mad about it? A hundred percent. I'm like a hundred percent. If I could, if I could get back my money and not have to get this license, I would a hundred percent because I find it's wrong. I don't find it's right that I had to go back and get a license that maybe I don't even use the whole entirety of what I've learned. Maybe I only take a few pieces, right? But I'm definitely now in a position to say, okay, yes, I can cut. Yes, I can color. Yes, I can. It benefits me in a certain degree. But I feel like it's wrong that they have lumped 
black hair with your eccentric hair when it's two different realms. <laughs> hair is not, everybody doesn't have the same hair. So how can you put a, one association that regulates all hair when here in New Brunswick doesn't even teach all hair types? I just find it's a contradiction. I agree. I, I think the, the one of the things, and again, this is from somebody that doesn't know a lot about hair, uh, but I, I also feel like the, the fact is what you said, all natural hair. Some people don't like there's some hair that doesn't need chemicals. There's some hair that, that just needs to be treated in a certain way. Again, dark, dark skin people's hair, but not all dark skin people are alike. Like, for example, if you look at the Desi community, they have a different type of hair. They're brown. They're darker, yes. but they don't have the same hair as somebody that comes from an Afrocentric. Uh, if you go to Latin America, that is a different style that you could you could put. And some people, well, in Latin America, a lot of chemicals are used because people like their hair perm and not necessarily yes. a different type. So I, I think I get where you're coming from. And I, I think that is a that is a battle that should be fought. And I think you're doing it in the right way because I feel like, look, I, I've been in this the situation before and you're going to deal with a lot of white people that are not going to be held accountable for anything and they're going to think that they're right and they're also old uh yeah. they're pretty old in what they do and, and they don't so i think one of the reasons that people need to do is it's you know you got to make sure you play by the rules but then you got to start lobbying you got to start educating these people telling him hey look this is this is what it is because they yeah. don't know but because they're in a position of power they have to defend their position no matter what which this 100%. is what i tell people i tell people that like you can't go to fight a battle with somebody that has something to lose because if they have something to lose they're going to fight for that yeah like, that's that's the you can't just go and say like i'm taking what you have no no you gotta go educate that person and telling him, hey, look, I'm not taking you what you already have. I'm trying to explain you uh, what is it that you we need to fill and you can still do what you're doing, but we want to make sure that you're and they they understand that. And yeah. I think that's 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 the that's the reason that I think, you know, getting your hair license, getting all your stuff and then trying to educate and, and uniting with other people that are, are going to the same struggle because it's a struggle for women and and, you know, more than women than men to to get their hair because like you said uh in bigger cities is image but it's all image here too it's the same thing people will look at you for certain things and and again you know when you go to places like banks or like people that want a higher position you there is a statistic that women of color do not get those positions even if they're as educated or as qualified yeah. or as everything and it's yeah. all because of the image of of being a woman of color in a certain position of power which yeah. is sad it, it's absolutely sad to say but but that is the reality and it, it's changing because we're talking about it but right. it, it, it's it's happening right now so so that's definitely a good thing so what you know once you get you're getting customers now and you're getting people like what what's been the reaction of this um, they're grateful. I've, man, I have a lot of people. I have clients that come from St. Antoine, St. Marie, um, as far as Salisbury, passing Salisbury. I have people in Miramichi, Capilet, um, Moncton, Dieppe. Like I have a wide variety of clients coming from a lot of areas in New Brunswick and some are willing to drive three, four hours to come see me because I'm the only, I guess, uh, who really has put that 
stamp on being that specializing in black hair. <laughs> I really put that hammer down when I got here, because as I said, when I did the research, I didn't, there was nobody that really has put that stamp that says they are doing black hair and doing all these type of services that I provide. So, you know, my clients come from all ends of New Brunswick. Um, I even had people who reached out to me from Nova Scotia. Um, you know, so I'm really trying to fill this market. Um, so as I said, people of color feel like they have a place to come to to get their hair done because our hair needs a lot of, you know, work. It, it's not easy. Our hair is not just wash and go. Like, no, our hair takes time. It takes it takes time to get that um, look that you want. It's, you know, I decided to get locks because I've, I've done it all. And so I felt like locks was my next route for me. It was time for me to lock my hair. But it's a struggle sometimes. I have already taught one girl in school to help me do my locks just because it's it's hard doing your own locks. So, it you know, I'm trying to teach you know, some of these white girls to do black hair, you know, don't be afraid of it, you know, and I had to really say, like, just like you're washing your hair, I wash mine, <laughs> like, I want you to wash my hair, like you wash your hair. So I have to kind of change, like, that their perspective, I had a client come in at school that uh, had the assumption that locks stink, you know, and I had to just change his view so fast because it was like, excuse me, <laughs> like, huh? And it just took me back. Like, why do you assume that? Like, why do you assume locks smell? I wash my locks. You can, and I had him literally touch my locks and smell them. I said, you're going to smell my locks because you said what you said, and I want you to smell my hair. And I made him smell my hair and he said, it smells like lavender. I was like, yeah, so don't assume when you see somebody with locks that their hair stinks. No, because locks, you should be taking care of your locks just as much as you take somebody else goes and cuts their hair or the next, the girl down the road who washes their hair. Locks should be washed. Locks should be taken care of. And the assumption around locks, I want to dismantle in itself. People call them dreadlocks. And I try to refrain all my clients from calling them dreadlocks because dreadlocks have a history of, you know, white people calling them dreadlocks because they were dreadful looking. No, <laughs> like I, so I take off the dreads and I say locks because our locks are beautiful. Locks should be appreciated. Locks need work to maintain, to stay healthy. So they're just as um, the process of having locks, it's, it's not the same, but it takes as much time as somebody coloring their hair. It, it takes as much time. So I'm really trying to change the views out here in New Brunswick um, as much as I can, because if that guy who said locks stink, his mind probably has changed now because I let him feel my locks and I let him actually smell my locks because I really wanted to dismantle this view that locks are, are not are whatever he thought locks were. I want to change his view around it. Um, locks has a stigma. And I think in this day and age, locks is trending now, 
but locks has always had a stigma um, in history. And so if I can do my part to change that a little bit or, ch or change somebody's mind state around hair, um, I'm going to do that every turn and not be, and not shy away from it because I feel like, again, it's, it, it's, it, it's on the black person to teach them differently because they don't know any better. So it, 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 yeah, it's a, it can be a burden to some other people who are of color who don't want to deal with it and, you know, who may be enraged. Some people probably would have been enraged, you know, but me, I take it as a challenge. I'm like, oh, great teaching moment because I love to teach. So I'm like, oh, good. I can teach somebody something new and not take it as an offense because sometimes we take, I could have taken it offensively and I did. In my heart, I was a little offended, but how am I going to address the situation in a positive way where now it's like, mm, I was a little hurt by his comment, but now I can educate him. So he doesn't go and feel like he can say that or go and pass that biasy onto somebody else or, you know, or if he talks about it in his day or whatever, his mind is probably changed now because I actually stepped in to say, Hey, that's not always the case. And so, um, I'm very pro-black, <laughs> um, I'm anti-racist feminist. Um, I'm, you know, I feel like I was meant to be on this earth to help others. I truly believe that. Um, I was meant to help others and a part of helping others is educating. So if it's a white person, a black person, a purple, yellow, I'm gonna educate it anytime I can, um, because I feel like, as I said in the start of the podcast, um, knowledge is power, and I have a lot of knowledge. <laughs> so if I can give back what I know um, and, you know, change somebody's view or make them see something differently or, you know, change their perspective on a topic, I'm going to take those chances 100%. I'll never miss a chance to educate somebody or change their view where I feel like kind of that's kind of discriminating or that's kind of racist or that's your bias, your bias towards this topic. It, mm, there's a better way to view that. And I'm going to be that one. And I feel like I was meant to do that. And I'm here for a reason. I was meant to be on this earth and I have a purpose on this earth. And if it is, you know, changing views and making people think more consciously, then I'm going to take that chance 100% and I'm not going to shy away from it. Um, because I, no. my voice is a platform. I feel like Nella's hair care is a platform and, um, you know, I touch a lot of lives. I have a lot of um, mixed families, you know, biracial kids, you know, parents who are white here and they have black children, you know, they don't know what to do with their hair. And so they're so grateful of me. They're grateful to have found me on social media, Google, whatever, wherever platform they find me on. Um, and I always hear like, you know, I'm so grateful because I don't know what to do with their hair. And, you know, I want to help my daughter and I want to make sure she, you know, she feels confident because our hair is a part of our confidence. And so they, you know, I find a lot of parents who are white and who are actually trying to do their daughter's hair or want to learn more. They have come across in my chair, have sat in my salon, have 
gotten some knowledge from me. And they always say they're grateful because without me, they're battling something that, you know, they're trying to learn through YouTube. And at least when they see me, they get that hands-on experience. Yeah, I think so. That's a that's a way to, to say it. Now, I will say one thing. White people, Nella let one guy touch her hair and smell it. Do not try that. Do not try to touch a black woman's hair. No, not, not without that. her permission. Exactly. Don't do that. No, because I've had that done here too before. A lady has, I was here for the summer and I was in the mall and I had these, before my locks, I had these curly, this curly crochet hair in. It was red and it was vibrant and it had it in a mohawk. So the curls was coming into a mohawk and she just came up to me and touched my hair and I had to be like, hi, excuse me. You know, that's my personal space. You know, next time you could just ask. And she was just like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. It was just so beautiful. I had to touch it. I'm like, no, you didn't have to. You wanted to and you did. But next time, just ask, you know, and yes. so I have had that here, which was it took me back because in Toronto, that's a fight. <laughs> if you go <laughs> and do that in Toronto, somebody you might get hurt. But um, here, as I said, I I've been around a lot, like I've been around different people and, you know, my my mom always taught me, you know, do unto others as you would like done unto you. And so my instinct is not always fight, you know, they say fight or flight, but I, I feel like there's a medium, you know, there's a, you stand for what's right, you know, but you can communicate that, you know, in a positive manner. So that lady who touched my hair, you know, she, I definitely had her thinking twice because she probably won't do that again, but I didn't act all, you know, um, crazy you know, and like uh, yeah. like you you, you don't want to seem like the angry black woman that that, right. that's, that's, that's that that's right a, and again I, I i'm i don't think there's uh again i don't think the angry black woman that 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 doesn't exist that's just so that's just something that i think the the this the stratosphere kind of put into you know into label people of yeah. color i think people are frustrated and when people are frustrated they get angry I, right. I think that's that that's how it's called. So Nella, if people want to find you and they want to, they have things like you said to go with the hair. How yeah. where do they go and how do they get to you? Okay, they can find me in a few um social platforms. So I really use Instagram as my platform. So um that's Nella's Hair Care five oh six. I also have Facebook. You can find me at Nella's Hair Care or you can put in Nella's Hair Care 506 as well. And you can find me on Facebook. I also have Google. So you can find me on Google on Nella's Hair Care and um, I, that will pop up right away. So those are the three avenues. If you want to contact me directly, um, you can always go through my Instagram and send me a message. Also on Facebook, you can also call me at 506 five three one seven nine five seven and you can call send me a message i'm usually close to my phone um but yeah those are my avenues but i'm really like socially my social media is really instagram that's tethered to facebook so um i'm usually on there i post my pictures i you know, I try to give you guys a little bit of my life personally. I'm also doing this Wellness Wednesday hairstylist edition where I do like a little podcast, a little video. It's like a vlog 
on what I'm doing for my wellness for the year, something I'm trying to do this year, just so my fans and my followers kind of get to know me a little bit more. And instead of just what I do behind my chair, I'm beyond just my hair and what I can give. Um, but I have more content and I have, you know, more to offer. So um, I kind of wanted to do something a little beyond hair for my followers to get to know me. So that's kind of where um, Wellness Wednesdays hair edition comes into play. I think that's really dope because I feel like, you know, that that's uh that's part of the social media is about and, and gets to, you know, people get to know you and get to hear your story and things like that. So that's pretty cool. So, you know, like I said, we can we can talk for a long time here because, again, a life is, you know, we can go for a while. But again, right. we got to make sure that people listen to this. But before we let you go, I, I want to ask you one last question. What does it feel to be black in the Maritimes? Ooh, that's a good question. What does it feel to be black in the Maritimes? Um, definitely you're going to feel that you're out of place. I want to first say that you're going to feel that being black here, it, it can have its challenges because here is dominantly white. Um, so you can feel that outcast feel. Um, but I don't want that to hinder you coming into the Maritimes because here, especially in New Brunswick, you can meet people of color and feel like you belong. Um, it might not feel that way at the start when you first arrive here. You might feel outcasted. You might feel like there's not a there's not a space for you here. But I feel like us as Black people, we can create our own space. We don't need permission to be wherever we want to be. We can create that space and we can be seen and be heard if you, if that's what you want to do. Um, being Black in the Maritimes, I feel like has its challenges, but I feel like if we come together and unite as Black people, we can do anything we want to. We're really unstoppable. So being Black in the Maritimes is, you know, being able to pursue your dreams and pursue whatever you want to, but know that there are going to be challenges because there are key holders who may not reflect who you look like in the mirror. But, you know, if we, as I said, if we unite and stay together and, you know, look at those resources that help Black people, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve in this lifetime. I truly believe that. Um, you can achieve um, whatever you want here um, because the maritime is growing and it is, it needs people like, you know, you and I, Fidel, here to grow, um, you know, this Canada multiculturalism that they call. I find here it's not so multicultural, but it will get there. So I feel like the Canadian illusion is being multicultural, but I feel like that's only centered in certain places, um, certain provinces. But here in the Maritime, being Black, you're going to be, you're going to struggle a little bit. You're going to have some challenges. But I definitely believe if you can persevere, being Black here in the Maritime can be very rewarding. All right. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that's uh, 
that's food for thought. So Nella, thank thank you for doing this. Uh, shout out to Charmaine for giving me the contact. Yes, uh, I, I appreciate it. So people, uh, if you want to listen to more of us, just check out our episodes. Please like and subscribe on Amazon Podcast, Google Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Rate, uh, comment to us. Uh, shout out to everybody that donates on Patreon and PayPal. Thank you very much for your support and peace out. Mm-hmm.